terrorize the world. Why did they leave the front door wide open? Like, what is it with good horror films and dumb choices? Do you remember when we realized in American Werewolf in London when the main character left not only the room to his apartment wide open, but the door to the entire apartment building <laughs> wide open? And just, like, somehow he forgot all of that and just... I was, you know, as I was watching this movie, they leave the door wide open, and all I could think to myself was, stupid motherfucker. <laughs> Okay. They needed a, a chance to get the dog in the house, I guess. That, that's why they did it. But it's like, man, I wish I wish that could have been pulled off in a more believable way. I, I would have even, like, they're bringing groceries in and an orange drops in the doorway and the door doesn't close all the Like, anything would have been better <laughs> than consciously it was, leaving it open. It was the orange all along. He yeah. was behind the but deceitful couldn't, murders. Couldn't you see that, though? Like, the husband dies of a heart attack and then she's stuck. And then when we think things can't get any worse, nighttime comes, and then the camera zooms out, and you watch the wind blow the door open. And it's like, oh no, it's even worse. That that could have been done, yeah, I agree with you, that could have been done a lot better. Especially with what you just said, you know, that would have been cool to see that, you know, yeah. things are increasingly getting worse for this woman, and what's going to happen next? Hello everyone, I'm Brian. And I'm Nick, and you're listening to the podcast from the Black Lagoon. Today we're going to be talking about Gerald's Game, a 2017 horror film directed by Mike Flanagan. It, it, it's very obvious that Gerald's Game is based on a book. There is this very novel-like way of treating the main character, which was this, all this parallelism between the um, supernatural elements and the real-life trauma that, that the protagonist is dealing with. She has to escape actual imprisonment. And in doing so, she's escaping some some figurative imprisonment by leaving her husband and dealing with um, oppressive male figures like the Moonlight Man, who we'll talk about, her husband, um, the was it her father or her stepfather, the flashback she was having? Her father. It was her father, yeah. All of these things, and it, it's this really interesting, very, very novel-like way of taking taking on uh, issues of, of submission and oppression and... It was really cool because it, it was a very refreshing horror film that was honestly one of the more dreadful films I've seen in a long time. I really liked the um, the internal monologue that she was having with herself, even though in her mind she wasn't talking to herself. She was talking to her husband, and then she was talking to her other self. Yeah, and what I like so much about that is she actually had genuine realizations, which is so cool. Because it works so well with the theme of the movie. She already knew all of this. She just had to find it out. Like, she already knew how scummy her husband was. But she had to listen to him remind her all the horrible things he did. She already knew about these traumatic childhood memories. But she had to remind herself how horrific they really were. She had to bring it forward. It's always hard to do these films where it's one character stuck in one spot for the majority of the film. They did such a good job through flashbacks and through these little monologues she would have with, with her imagined dead husband and herself, and did an awesome job about slowly unfolding the story. And it just 
they kept throwing in brand new, really interesting ideas. Um, especially the Moonlight Man. When that guy came on stage with a little box of thumbs, what were they? Bones. Yeah, that was bones. cool. Like that thing was creepy, and his eyes would glare out from the. I liked his uh, his look. You could barely make out what his face looked like, but the red eyes just that was the centerpiece right there that was what made me feel you know like a little kid again just you know complete pitch blackness and you know red eyes is just something that kind of makes me uh i guess afraid because you don't know what this creature is what he's capable of it, so. it was horrific and they they dealt with his character in such an incredible way because there was all this uncertainty about him and i think that was so cool because that 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 worked so well with the entire film of she's haunted by something that isn't clearly or certainly there the idea of this guy just kind of scoping out the room and and watching her struggle and be stuck is terrifying you know the thing is is we don't know specifically if it's real or not um throughout the majority of the movie but that twist that twist is just so dreadful because you finally realize oh shit he that was real you think about it what would have happened you know if she didn't escape you remember the book that she picked up when she was uh chained to the bed Mm -mm, no when she was like uh the dog was eating her husband oh and she right, was like right. get the fuck away from him yeah remember the book mm -hmm. it's for, um it's the same novel that the main character from hush wrote interesting okay so that's mike flanagan you know having his uh, uh, a meta easter egg about his own yeah. film yeah okay cool uh, I, I just mike flanagan's myself, the director you cheeky little bastard you know <laughs> that was that was really cool um when she's about to give up and her husband her husband says um all things die all things serve the bean and that's actually a reference to the dark tower novels hmm. which i've never Sir, i've never read apparently there's all things serve the bean the beam beam b-e-a-m <laughs> like, what are we kidney beam like what are we so what what is the beam it's just something uh that's relevant in the dark tower novels that stephen king wrote did you ever uh did you ever watch oculus i think so and i don't think i liked it yeah there's a lot of buzz around it being like one of the few good horror films and i watched it and was completely not impressed by it I never really, I, I, I didn't like Oculus whatsoever. I liked his movie Hush. That was a really good movie, and I think we should I do still haven't that. watched that one. Hush? You watched that one. Did I? <laughs> I guess we're going to have a an amnesia episode for our podcast next time. You might. When did I watch? <laughs> Maybe it's, I did. It's I don't remember. Ne it's on Netflix. You remember? I was talking about the book. The author, she wrote the book. It's the same book in this movie okay this is the one with the deaf girl yeah okay yes. all right got it <laughs> <laughs> took you a bit but i think we should definitely do that 
as a next episode or something uh for future Hush. yeah that could be yeah, cool f- future we'll do a uh, mike flanagan series uh haunting of hill house i didn't know i watched a large portion of his filmography i didn't know that but yeah hush um haunting on hill house is great uh oculus was okay but it made a lot of buzz people really liked it so i I may have missed something when i saw it i don't know what else he did but gerald's game is by far his best film that i know of so i want to talk about the money shot Uh. (laughs) ah it was so well done uh, when she decides to uh, cut her wrist all the way up to her palm and then pull the uh, the handcuffs off. Oh, you could see like her fucking tendons and stuff, like her muscle. And you could watch her skin like bunch up in the, in the uh, cuff. Oh, oh God. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of uh, watching... Uh, 127 hours. hours. Yeah, 127 hours. Yeah. I was about to say twenty one yeah. hours. I was like, "That's a, that's a bit that short." That might not be long enough think. to for James Franco to ampute, amputate himself. Yeah, totally. Just one night, yeah. he decides, "I'm just gonna amputate myself I'm now." Done. Just yeah. straight to the money shot. Why don't you? Um, I think that I think that's what adds to it too, because it, it isn't a necessarily violent movie. It's a very a lot of the horror is psychological, um, mm-hmm. and and it's based on dread and mostly impending doom like when when the sun sets you feel like oh boy what's gonna happen this time the the one scene that was really violent hurt her escaping from from captivity the fact that that's really the only time where you see there is the dog eating the human being i guess that's pretty violent but that's really the only time where you see gratuitous violence thrown in front of you and i think that really emphasized how how horrible that really was especially when it's coming from this character who's been you know who really lacked a lot of willpower before this point that's part of her character arc is getting the strength to break out of submission um on her own right instead of just dying submissive in bed or just waiting for somebody to come and swoop her off her feet and save her and yeah like the whole the whole film is kind of battling and in mostly being scared of male figures and then it turns into battling them Right, I mean, it, it's her her husband. She's arguing with him to unlock her, and he wouldn't do it, and then he died of a heart attack. And she got stuck in that position by just blatantly agreeing to everything he said, not thinking of it. Same thing with what happened to her originally, and she kept blaming herself too for all the horrible things that happened to her. Um, and it's kind of about her taking taking her freedom back and fighting back against it. It was really cool, and then the Moonlight Man made it even better because he's like the specter of of the past, and he's just there like haunting her and he was so creepy and he could be real he could be fake no, no matter what he's just another weird uncertain figure that's there that's even if she doesn't know if it's real or not it doesn't matter that the prospect of it being real is enough to control her it's i think it was so well done so um i kind of want to talk about the ending hmm. um i don't know how i felt about her going to the the courtroom to see the moonlight man um and then them showing his face i kind of felt like that kind of took away from the mystique and i don't know if that scene was specifically in the book it probably was um pardon me for my you know ignorance 
Um, but I don't know. I felt like that could have just been well alone left out because it kind of ruins the, like, I was perfectly fine with them saying this person was real, but showing his face is kind of, it kind of ruins what little mystique they had left. Right. I agree with that. And, um, I think it definitely would have been scarier if they didn't. Um, but I think ruining the mystique was actually the point. And normally I don't like to give movies that easy way out. Oh, maybe it was the point. You can say that about anything. But but part of the idea was the reason this thing looked so menacing was because of her past. And it was because of her submissive nature that she was kind of falling victim to. And the point was her standing face to face with the thing and saying, you're not so tough. She literally said, what did she say to him? Something like, you're not. Uh, you're a lot smaller. Yeah. Than I remember. Which he was pretty big still. You know, but now, it's just... in retrospect now, I can kind of understand why they did the why they did this scene the way they did it. And, I don't know, I kind of appreciate it just a little bit more. Um, I don't know, there's just a part of me that's like, ah, it could have just been without that scene but then again it is a good scene and it, I can understand why they put it in there and, I, I think uh, it could have been handled a little bit in a bit of a more nuanced way I, it kind of felt a little bit soapy to me how it ended but um, I, I do get the point it was pretty cool and, and that was a big reveal I just um, but that's thinking back the, the, the high arc of um jesse her character right finally you know finally standing up to this menacing person who's killed dozens of people and then just saying you know you're not so you know you're not so tough yeah not so scary i enjoyed the set pieces especially like the dream world the uh the eclipse the sky being completely red I thought that was just so captivating, beautifully well done, um, very eerie. And you, you see that a lot in movies. I, I, I wish I could remember the names of them. I just watched a documentary, and there were two other movies I saw within this year that did the same thing, where, where victims of abuse in this way uh, focus on one thing. And they stare at it while it's happening. And they just think about that item they're looking at until they get over it. That's their way of coping with what's happening to them. She did that with the eclipse. Um, I wish I could remember what this movie was. There's another film where this lady stared at the ceiling and there was some painting on the ceiling or or something like that. Uh, And there's another story. There's a Netflix documentary about a woman who was was, um, kidnapped. And she would watch the the, the leaves on the um, sunroof in this RV. And she could not get the image out of her head because that's what her brain did. Analyze this thing in front of you so much that you can cut out all of the nonsense that's happening elsewhere. And that's cool because she fixated on this eclipse. And that ended up becoming like the eyes of the Moonlight Man. And all of his mystique and power came from her remembering how traumatic it was. But when she saw him in real life, without the effects of dehydration, (laughs) then it became this, like, oh, you're not nearly as big as I thought. Which is cool, because when the camera shows him, he's still a hulking, terrifying guy. But she's like, ah, you lost your, you lost your flair. 